nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another thumb thumbs thumbs. Get your thumbs up if you like us on YouTube. Yeah, there we um, go. <laughs> hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun packed, thrill filled twenty fifth anniversary edition of Nice Things. Nice things. The antidote to modern living. And joining me, Sir Michael Livesley, this week we have... You've got a gentleman who's very cross because he's run out of tea bags and he's having to drink coffee, which is, let's be honest, foreign muck. I always have a cup of tea for this. I haven't got a cup of tea. I want a cup of British tea because it is British. Don't give me any of that revisionist stuff. Tea is British. Or just Paul Carmichael. Baroness! Paul Carmichael. Baroness Paul yes. Carmichael. Running out of tea. You should employ the advice of Stanchel when it comes to anything, really. As he used to tell Rodney Slater all the time, never run out, dear boy. Never run out. Mm. You know, Very that's what you word. should apply. You should apply that to every area of your life. Never run out. 25 shows. Who'd have thunk it, as, as Americans say? You like Americans, don't you, dear? No, no. Well, apart from the ones who listen to us, I'm very fond of them. But if anybody was to say, who'd have thunk it? They're not allowed to listen and you must stop at once. But That's who right. would have thunk it? You're quite right. 25. Yes, 25. Six, six months. Is it? That's is that six what that months, means? Isn't it? Yeah, well, ish, nearly. Next week, isn't it? That's six yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, that's Good five God. months and a week. Yeah. Oh, blimey. I think it's five weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... Uh, no, I don't no, know. No, it's not. Anyone no, good at maths, write in. What's five four? Mo- five months, three weeks. Is it? It is. No, no, no. Five months. <laughs> four weeks is a month. Let's just say that, right? Right. So five times four is 20. That's five months. Right. And another five. It's not like Wurzel Gummidge here. You know, I've had one and one and another one and another one. <laughs> um, 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 so that's f- six months and a week. 25. No. 24 no, be- weeks is six months. No, because there's 52 weeks in a year. Oof. Hey, I don't know. I don't know. You need to speak to Copernicus. I think it's um, a little bit. Someone. Is, it's a long is, time. This is probably very time. basic stuff, yes. But, yes, yes, yes. Nearly half yes. a year. It's a week off half a year. There you go. There we go. Yeah, there lovely. There you go. Um, and who would have thought that it would have come to this, that we would be sat here confused recording this because we can't do basic maths? <laughs> exactly, yes. I mean, the, the trouble is, you know, it's kind of like, it impresses me to do anything for nearly half a year as, um, mm. you know, I can't I can't make plans. Um, I can't even buy green bananas, as the saying goes. Oh, um, no, no, no. And yet here we are. I mean, it wasn't yeah. planned, let's be honest. Was there? No, it wasn't planned at all, was it? No, no, we no. We just no, it decided wasn't to do it one week and then it was fun and that was it. And that was it, and, it, and it's just grown, and um, and, and yes. hello, of course, to our followers once again. Where are they, Malawi? No. Um, oh, Ghana. Hello oh, to Ghana. all you Ghanaians who are hello enjoying our <laughs> tripe. Um, yes. Enjoying good old British tripe. Um, yes. Speaking of tripe, um, I've been watching a lot of Fred Dibner this week. Have you? I have indeed, yes. Oh, right. Um, I love Fred. I love Fred as well. I, I don't know what it is about Fred. He's sort of, he's always been there for us, hasn't he? Yeah. You like that? See, I remember him because my dad had some LPs of him. Um, and I think he was speaking at social clubs and stuff like that, just telling stories about blowing shit up. Yes. Um, and I can remember uh, the first time one was put on, he swore. And I was like, oh, the swearing on a record. That's very exciting. Um, with these wonderful photographs on the front cover of him bent down in the base of chimneys, stuffing them with explosives. Oh, yes. Um, 
wonderful stuff. Can't remember a word of these records, but I can remember absolutely killing myself laughing um, watching him. And then, of course, to actually now start watching some of those things on YouTube like you've been finding. Isn't that just wonderful? I mean, a man whose who's life revolved around blowing up industrial units became something of a legend. He did. I mean, slight inaccuracy there. He didn't blow oh, yeah. anything up. Now, oh, okay. now this is this is a, a sort of I suppose because he came along at the same time as Blaster Bates, didn't he? Who did blow things up? Right. Now, now Blaster Bates was a demolition man, and, and Fred was a steeplejack. So what right. he'd done is, so he said that when he was a kid, what he used to do was climb up on top of um, this slag heap. You know, which he moaned that they'd got rid of to put a brand new road through. But anyway, he said he used to climb up on this stag heap, slag heap, um, which I don't know. Did you grow up with slag heaps? I grew up surrounded by slag heaps in ADOT because there were all pits there, you know. Um, no, we so didn't have any slag heaps. I mean, no, I do know what it is, but I don't think we yeah. had one. I mean, we, we, we had the crater uh, from the war. Um, probably oh, ah, not yeah. dissimilar, but I don't remember any any slag. No, slag heaps no. are big bloody hills. I mean, we were surrounded by loads of them. I mean, on one side of us, we had all the slag heaps from um, the Queen Pit and King Pit, and they were at the top mm. of uh, Peel Road. Uh, and then over the other side, what they built a Barrett estate on, you had the uh, Wood Pit and Lime Pit, and all because the, there was about 15, 20 pits in Haydock, which is, you know, there was a pit every 500 yards. But what the slag heaps were like near me is they were like massive, like grey piles, one, you know, the Wood Pit and Lime Pit ones were. But mm. what had happened is when they'd shut the pits down because they couldn't be arsed, uh, capping them, they flooded. So there were lots of ponds to play on. You know, and someone, I don't know who it was, on one of these ponds, it was a figure eight pond, and someone had dumped a load of, you know, industrial refrigerator doors there. And so you could yeah. punt across them with big sort of, you know, fence posts, big big um, washing props. So we used to put, oh man, it was great. I remember once there was some bullies going to knock fuck out of me, so I just ran. Like, I know, I, I did. I ran, believe it or not. Uh, in, in the flock of seagulls uh, vernacular, I, I ran across the slag heaps because I knew how to get across the muddy bits, the slurry bits. Anyway, mm. they managed to follow me over that. I was like, shite. So I got to this um, figure eight pot and jumped on the refrigerator door, punted out to the middle and stood there and waited. And I thought, ha, that's that's you foxed. Um, however, yeah. little did I know it was only about like three foot deep or two foot deep. So they just waded out and... Uh, Yes, and administered a sound threshing. Um, <laughs> when you were a kid, you were always getting... I don't know about you, but I seem to have spent a lot of time getting beaten up when I was a kid. For no good reason. I didn't, yeah, I didn't at all. It's the, oh. it's a, a, the strangest thing. I, I don't know why. Um, I, I managed to avoid that sort of thing. Um, hmm. I, I, I think probably I would say something obscene or, or, or ridiculous and try and laugh the situation off, maybe. I, I'm not quite well, sure. I did, but... Some of them Other people couldn't. did. Other people. You probably did, did I remember. Stephen Fry, didn't you? You know, if you hit me, I shall get an erection. There could have been something <laughs> like that. I'm not denying it, but I do remember a few times. I remember once being on break at school, and two lads just walked in, walked up the path to the school, and smacked my mate Steve in the face. But there were two of them. One was short and the other one was tall. And the short one punched him and it had little or no effect. So Steve did the one thing you should never do. He was sarcastic and just went, oh yeah, that really hurt. Unfortunately, then the bigger gentleman decided to punch him in the face right. and that did hurt. Um, but I can remember that. I can remember playground 
fights. I can remember at one point being told that somebody wanted to have a fight with me, and I just thought, no, and I went home. And oh, then no, it seemed no, no, no. To... Didn't have fights. It wasn't that kind of school. It was simply that you just got... Right, so I, sp- I suppose that, yes, you got assaulted, I suppose is the word. But I, I think the problem was that I was a big lad. So mm. naturally, they assume, looking at your sort of uh, corpulence, that you're going to be uh, wanting to have some form of, like, straightener with them, you know, oh, as if you have ambitions to be what well, they used to call the cock of the year. And oh, the cock yes. Of the school. Um, whereas I had none. You know, at all, whatsoever. Uh, but I think they assumed that you did, mm. just because you were big. So uh, you probably swerved that one, mate. I did. I think I avoided that one. Yes. Um, but it was. I did, but the, the good thing, the good thing about being beaten up at school, I'm going to let the arm out of the sling a bit because it hurts. Um, mm. Is that? And if you remember when we did the first London show, I took a, a Beano book, 1973, which was there as yes. a sort of good luck charm for me. Uh, because that was the mm. thing when when all this shit used to happen when you were a kid in school, I used to think I'll be at home later reading that a sort of bit of Jungian philosophy, whereby you know the Bavarian woodcutter's not in the present chopping down the trees, chopping down trees is hard work. He's in the future using the barrel uh, mm. from the wood that he's chopped down. So I used to sort of as the bla- as the blows rained down, I would think about reading the Beano book later and. I think looking forward to things after school, you can see this is a very clumsy link I'm getting to here because it's 40 years since and it's our 25th show um, and it's the right time of year and uh, I remember very much looking forward to the five faces of Doctor Who season. That was seamless, wasn't it? That was beautifully done. Well done. Yes. So it's an early warning on the on the who klaxon for viewers it at this is. point. Um, I think. But yes. I think at twenty five we can afford to indulge ourselves, can't? We? Oh, just a little. I I think so. I don't think up until that point with television. See, I've I've got these little pinnacle moments of TV of of just being like amazed <clears throat> by by telly, and I think the first time was probably. Um, when I saw the, you know, when I got to grips with who the continuity announcer was, because uh, I think I've explained before this confusion I had where I, I I could just see a spinning world that could talk, and in my little brain at the time, that therefore was God, as far as I was concerned, which possibly explains the BBC view that I have. Um, I was convinced that was the voice of God, but eventually that that went a little. Um I remember the the zoom out from the house at the end of play school, so the house would grow mm. smaller and smaller. I can remember that, and that was like a moment where I was like, "Well, how, how are they making it shrink?" I can remember trying to think, "How how are they making that shrink?" But then the five faces of Doctor Who come along, and the most wonderful thing is, like me, the first time you'll have known anything about it will have just been presumably just catching a trailer somewhere, um, mm. uh, no internet. Nothing like that. And, of course, as um, as we've mentioned to each other, those trailers did start quite some way before the actual repeat season, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, if YouTube, if you go into YouTube, there are ones that say, in, in two weeks' time, we begin. So they began on the mm. 2nd of November, 1981. So oh. that then would take you to mid-October, wouldn't it? They were trailing it, which, which is a long time to trail things. Considering it is. back then they didn't really go for... Uh, I think that they felt a little bit... Um, as though it wasn't, um, as though it wasn't seemly to to promote the words, really, Doctor. If you look at the paucity of of, of toys they had on sale back then, you know, mm. you had a K nine that was as big as the Tom Baker doll. Yes. 
you, you know, did. didn't really but do it. I think also what you've got though is the fact that you know it was a repeat season, and I don't know if there've been repeat seasons before. Sure, there've been repeats of series. Yeah. But to go yeah. into a long-running show like that with 20 years' worth... Well, we thought there were 20 years' worth of episodes. Turned out that wasn't the case. No. Um, but to, to go in there and cherry-pick and produce a season, that was really quite something, wasn't it? That was unusual. Yeah. So I suppose for them it would have been marking out something slightly different. And, and you know, marking the fact that they did have this... What has become, you know, historically quite an important television programme. 20 years... Back then, you know, TV hadn't been around that long, let's be honest. Um, no. We I think were only conceptually, what? I think conceptually people didn't, certainly at the BBC, didn't appreciate the value of their archive, did they? They didn't no. seem to celebrate it. I mean, you look back pre-1980, um, there's not much. I do wonder if a lot of... A lot of this was due to the influence of the sort of uh, the the fledgling Dwas Doctor Appreciation Society, and obviously Ian Levine's willingness to pay what six grand an episode out of his own pocket, something like that. Yeah, uh, what a TV. So obviously J and T had got John Nathan Turner for the uninitiated who are still with us. Um, um, had obviously taken the temperature and realised that what it seems to me that what he was doing from the day he started was. He was looking at it as a commodity because he sort of, he homogenized, well, he standardized Tom Baker's costume, didn't he? He, he put did. the question marks on the collar, which, mm. yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a lot of things to turn it into a brand. And this is kind of like a um, unlocking the archive to the shows, really, that had been done before. There was a small repeat season, I've been doing some reading just prior to this, which involved the Keeper of Track and now. The last, uh, the, my first memory of who is a little bit of the Keeper of Traken, um, mm. with the laughing and the master getting into the column and stuff like that. Because being an ITV household, we didn't really watch Doctor Who. It was either Metal Mickey or, or Buck Rogers or something like that on a Saturday. Do you know what I mean? So it was when no, it moved to the Monday, mm. which we'll come to, um, that I really started watching it but these things that were a great thing to look forward to after work at work (laughs) after school um on these sort of these winter afternoons like this you know i remember walking because where i grew up it was was probably not now but it was still quite rural so this Mm. time of year we used to get the half term that we've just had we used to call that the spud picking holidays because kids would go and pick spuds on the farms and stuff like that you know it's true really no is that true. true Because sometimes, true, yeah. sometimes you tell me this stuff, and I think you're talking about Narnia in 1842. I'm not. Really, spud picking holidays. The spud picking holidays. So we had that that, that <laughs> we you call October half term. Well, yeah. So we had the spud picking holidays. So the fields that uh, were, were that had just had the spuds removed from them, um, mm. not in a sort of neutered cat kind of way, but that had just had the spuds removed. Um, I'd be walking across them, and by the time you got home, because our school was about three miles from home, so by the time I'd got home, because I did get a free bus pass being a poor child, but I'd sell that and buy crisps and walk home, uh, being a greedy bastard. Um, But by the time you got home, your shoes were like three times the size with mud on them, you know? Um, So to to come home to that, and, you know, you'd you'd open the, the kitchen door when you got home, and it was like a orange chisel, um, of light, you know, because the fire would be roaring on an afternoon like that. And so all those memories. I'll get to my best memory in a minute, but 
that occurred on the 23rd mm. of, of November 81. But you were in at the kill on the 2nd, dear boy. You were right in at the start, weren't you? You were sat waiting for oh, episode yes. one. I absolutely was. I can remember um, having seen a trailer at some point. I think I think Blue Peter did a feature on this mm. as well. Interesting. Um, and being re- now, what time did that? Did what time were those repeats? Five forty. So I do remember it being a bit of a oh, the news is on because uh, yeah. my dad would want to watch the news, and so having to sort of like ask uh, if it and it was it was fine. Um, so. Yeah, I remember that first episode. Oh, God, I can remember the BBC Two logo. And then up comes this opening title. And it was... the Opening titles-wise, that was interesting because I couldn't really remember the original theme music. Even though I'd watched since about 77, I couldn't really remember it. I had it on a seven-inch single. But to actually see it, and that was the first time I saw those black-and-white opening titles. First time ever. And then that opening in the police box... Uh, in the uh, um, in the junkyard, rather. And the strangest thing is, possibly because I was a little too young, I was quite bored for about the right. first ten minutes because I didn't know what was going on here. There were just two two black and white teachers talking about a pupil. I'm like, it's Grange Hill. So yeah. the the first, but it didn't it didn't lose my interest. It's just I was like, what's going on here? But uh, being slightly cross. Um, but then. Going into the rest of the episode, oh, it was absolute magic. That first episode's beautiful. Absolutely mm. beautiful stuff. So, yeah, I can remember that very well, that coming on. Um, I also remember the Radio Times that week having a feature in it as well, which I um, should have kept. But, of course, what I used to do, like so many other people, is I'd cut things out and I'd put ring binders through them and I'd stick them in a folder and then I'd lose them. Um, so I don't have that, unfortunately. But, yeah, I remember it. Oh, it was... Exciting yeah, I didn't stuff. see that. And similarly, you know, people always say, "Why the Crotons?" Because you know, for the next, for the for the Trouton one, uh, mm. quite simply, the only four part are in the archive. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> everyone at the time was because um, I think this is before uh, Doctor Who magazine had published their list of what was missing. So this was like a weird early early warning signal because the one that everybody assumed, where when you read back now, the one everyone assumed would be on was Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah. Not there, and suddenly you've got the crotons now. And the crotons, well, the the reason that they were able to show that is because it had been kept on thirty five mil film, so they didn't junk that, and it's why it looks really quite nice now. Um, whereas everything else, every other four parter had just gone completely by that point. Um, so it was an interesting choice, but I absolutely love that that story. To this day, I can just sit down and relax with that. You've got Philip Maddock, you've got Robert Holmes. What more does a chap need? Well, quite right. I mean, particularly with Philip Maddock there. Um, mm. But I did. I remember that is sort of where I came in a little bit. Because I remember I was round at uh, someone's house next door, but one to a Susan Clare. I can't remember his name. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember I was sat there like that, and it was on in the corner, the black and white thing. You know what I mean? And, mm. it, and I said, oh, what's this? Uh, something obviously got my attention, you know what I mean? It looked in my memory like one of those Buster Crab uh, Flash Gardens, really. It looked that ancient. Mm. And he said, it's Doctor Who. And I was like, that's not Doctor Who. Because all yeah. I knew was Baker, you know, from... Um, he was kind of in the in the pop culture, really, Baker, wasn't he? he wasn't just oh, absolutely. The, 
we knew him from Doctor Who because he did he did uh, Disney time and things in character. Um, yeah. So he was Doctor Who in our mind, and he explained to me how there'd been other Doctor Who's. And I was like, right, okay. And I think that he compared it to, you know, American sitcoms are they're always changing the lead actors. Yeah. And he said, oh no, no, yeah. they change people. I was like, oh, all right then. And he sort of give a clumsy explanation of regeneration. Um, mm. I was like, right, okay then. And so for some reason, then after trudging across the fields on the following Monday, um, I decided to put it on. And luckily for me, I hit the first color one. It was like, and and those and those Wurzel not being scruffy but being a sort of very dapper Time Lord, Carnival of Monsters. So I remember quite clearly where Leslie Dwyer's hand comes down, I think it's the end of episode one, and removes the TARDIS from um, the, the innards of the of The, the miniscope. The, yeah, miniscope. the miniscope. Yeah, I remember mm. Leslie Dwyer had a like a swap shop bowler hat on. Do you remember on the swap yeah. shop roadshow they'd wear those perspex hats? But if you look at Leslie Dwyer's, because he's obviously got this huge wig jammed onto the top of his head his his see-through perspex bowler hat if you watch it is completely steamed up <laughs> <laughs> so i remember i remember seeing that and um and the the girl in it as well i knew her from something citizen else. smith citizen smith of course it was yes yeah what's yeah. her name um cheryl oh yeah cheryl something or other if you're listening cheryl it, sorry isn't she then isn't she then in Only Fools and Horses? Yes. Yes. As and she's, Mrs. Um, Delboy. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. We're on the Alzheimer's mm. Express early today, kiddies. Um, we are. But for me, are. the next Monday when the three Doctors started, because 23rd of November, <clears throat> I don't know how I ended up with the same birthday as Doctor Who. You're probably jealous of that, knowing you. <laughs> A little bit. Doesn't matter. Doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> Oh, very strange, strange, strange days indeed. So my ninth birthday on the 23rd of November, 81, I trudged home through the... Uh, oh, my internet connection is unstable. Does mm. it seem all right to you? A little bit wobbly, but we'll keep going. Okay, it just popped up saying that, Zoom. Um, must, must be the wind today. Um, must be the, uh, the lambuna I had last night. But um, <laughs> Yeah, so... Um, that was my birthday, so to come home and do that, you know, the cold walk home, the hot, the warm orange yes. chisel of the fire going, and then I sat down, and on my knee I had the old uh, special birthday tea popped onto my knee on a tray, which was like, my mum used to love burnt chips anyway, so burnt chips, marifat peas, sausages, bread and butter, pint of quash, paradise. So, Perfect. <laughs> sat down to watch the three doctors, and it was just like, wow, because it's one of the most... Wonderful things. I remember, you know, the how is it still called a howl around on Perth? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when it was going off and that, you know, Lenny Main and all these names and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I remember thinking it was like the flames of a campfire and about how it was all eternal and time and that. So it's it's amazing, isn't it? Really, how the 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 theme tune and the titles really fire the imagination when you're watching Doctor Who. I think oh, that they really now do, yeah. the CG takes all the the imagination away for kids. It does. I mean, you've got. I think. I think you either go with the Howl Around of those first. Well, uh, those first three versions, or you go into the animation. The animation's lovely, and. Even though it's CGI, the the Sylvester McCoy title sequence, I rather like that because I know, but it, it tells the a wink. whole story. 
Well, all right, the wink. But, you know, I, they were going to have one of those for Colin Baker as well, and they didn't put it in. But I think that it tells That's a story, cool. that one. And it's CGI that almost still stands up, what, 35 years later? It's not bad. But I think yeah. that, that once you move away from all of that sort of loveliness, I mean, obviously the CGI that they were using was quite experimental. It was. It took 24 hours to render every single frame of that title sequence. So there were computers that ran for seven weeks rendering wow. uh, to get that sequence done. And the closing sequence, which isn't much, but it's there, that was done for free because they ran out of money. Um, it cost them so much to do the opening sequence. It was like, well, you can't have anything. So what we would have had would have just been white print on black. But then Cal Video seems to have done them a little favour and just provided right. this rather cheap uh, cheap little version there, which reuses a few elements from the uh, from the opening titles. But the, the Howl Around sequences... So for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about with Howl Around... Mm. Um, the way to think of it is if you've got a telly and you point a video camera at something, you can see what that video camera is looking at on the telly. But you've got to have the video camera plugged into the telly. That's so it. That so basically, feedback. yeah. So if I was to point my camera over there, but it's plugged into the telly, I can see what's in that room over there. But if I then turn the camera and make it look at itself, then essentially, yeah, the image is feeding back, bouncing backwards and forwards, and that's what they created it with. Howl around. I, when I was at college, it. I did video production. I'm sure you did the same as well. Yeah, plug the video camera into the telly. Let's mm. have a look. We, we did a video for my band that I was in when I was like 19 or whatever it was called. The band was called Temple Ball. So I got all these... Um, I cut out the words Temple Ball on paper and print stick them to the telly screen, plugged the camera into the back of the telly screen and pointed it at the at the telly. And it looked quite all right, actually. It didn't yeah. look quite as good as what Bernard Lodge did. Was it Bernard Lodge who did that one? It was. Bernard Lodge did them all, didn't he? Right through from... Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, right through to the end of the 80s. He was responsible. It's just it's wonderful. Perfect. The, 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 the John Pertwee ones were just perfect. And like I yeah. say, it was sort of like campfires and, um, you know, eternal and all that stuff. I mean, so so arsed were they about having part one of the three Doctors go out on the anniversary that they switched transmission order, didn't they? Because Carnival mm. of Monsters went out originally after three Doctors. Um, That's right, yeah. Did you know that they were meant to then go put the Mask of Mandragora out? No, I didn't. Mm. Yes. I didn't. Oh. It, it was going to take them too far into the Christmas schedule. Oh. So they dropped that and just uh, showed Legopolis. Oh, that's a shame. Because uh, Mask of Mandragora is a, is a very special one for me. Mask of Mandragora, I remember, because um, my poor grandfather um, took me to uh, a meeting of the Merseyside local group of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society uh, for a day, and that was one of the stories that they were showing. Um, they showed all four episodes of the Aztecs, uh, scattered across the day with individual episodes of other things dropped in here and there. Um, and, yeah, my granddad managed to sit through about eight hours of Doctor Who until it was getting towards the end, and then they announced that they were going to show something. I think it could have been, oh, the 1977 documentary. Um, Who's Doctor Who? Who's Doctor Who? And he just went, no, nope, that's enough, and just stood up. I think he'd had his fill by then. He couldn't take any more. Um, but yeah, Mask of Mandragora is a beautiful piece of telly, and of course it's filmed in Port Merion. 
But on yeah. this occasion, making use of the fact that it's an Italian village by setting it in a, the Italian Renaissance, I would have loved, loved to have seen that rather than Legopolis, which I'd just seen. So yeah, yeah. It's a str- but I suppose that he wanted to end it with us being introduced to Davison's doctor, didn't he? You know, mm. um, I mean, it was a, it was a strange one that because no sooner had Legopolis ended than you had K Nine and Company kick off. Which was that Christmas Eve or Boxing Day eighty one? It was one of them, wasn't it? It was. It was. I'm going to allow myself a Google on this because of I'll course allow yourself a Google because I will, as we um, all know, it was the infamous. Um, incident where the Weather Hill transmitter fell over. Not literally fell over, but the signal fell over. And it affected a Grange Hill Christmas special as well uh, mm. that year. I think it was the one where... No, it wasn't the one where they did a school play. It was certainly a Grange Hill Christmas special it affected. Ah, the, the 28th of December. Oh, was it? 81. Right, okay. It was, so it was the, the tweeny day. Yeah, but no, I, I certainly remember... Uh, that evening. I remember that the weather had been horrendous all day, but it didn't matter because the most exciting thing in the world, because to me, K9 was just the most exciting thing that I'd ever seen, and I wanted one. Um, yes. So to actually be told that K9's going to be on with his own series, that to me was just like explosively exciting. And then, as you say, Winter Hill decides to go, <laughs> and we get Nous. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? You see, we enjoyed the the winter, the wintry winter we had that year with the snow and the ice. I'd got a grifter for Christmas that year, out of mm. the great Universal catalog. One of those pay pay a pound for a hundred weeks or whatever it was. Mother mm. got it for me, so it was in the front room, and I wasn't allowed to go on out on it due to the snow and ice, you know. So it was in the front room with no pedals on it. So I used to sit on that and just sort of, you know, pretend I could go out. Um, but we liked the snow and ice bit, didn't we? But we, we didn't loved like it bit. knocking our telly out. We didn't like that at all. Um, it was incredibly distressing. I didn't know what was going on. I thought it was... Well, we originally thought it must be our telly. So I remember my dad uh, phoned the neighbours and theirs was out as well. And I think... I mean, I, I was only six. So I'm not afraid, ashamed to say that, that I may have just broken down into sobbing <laughs> at this point. Just... <laughs> I couldn't bloody believe it. It was ridiculous. Um, but uh, them being comforted by my mum with a lie, which is, oh, don't worry, they'll probably show it tomorrow instead. No, they didn't. They didn't. They d- didn't they show it again about a week after? I don't think so. Did they? If I they th- did, and injustice has happened and I didn't see it, I'm finding I out now. They did. I thought they did. I think they repeated the Grange Hill um, because it went down. Because in my memory, it's like, a, it's a Christmas day, it's a... You know, it's a, a Christmas Eve or a Boxing Day, but, you mm. know, maybe the 28th was the repeat, but maybe not. Maybe not. Well, like like you say, it's um, it's one of those in-between days when not mm. much really happens. Um, and, of course, well, you see, there you go. That straight away, it got 8.4 million watching it. Yeah. But... It didn't. Uh, it didn't get carried over for uh, into series. The Five Doctors only got seven point seven. So it does seem really strange that you've got a show that could get viewing figures like that, and yet it didn't get picked up. I find that. Well, I find that most strange. It's a. It's an example, isn't it, of again how John Nathan Turner was looking to commoditize Doctor Who and you know mm. sort of expand the universe and create spin-offs and. And stuff like that. I think he had. He's potentially that one of the first producers at the BBC who could see the potential in exploiting what they did. You know, I think they probably yeah. like were, were funded by the public. Therefore, this would be unseemly. No, absolutely. I think you're right. Now, 
I'm just trying to check as well. I'm doing a little bit of research here, um, oh which is about Bill Slater. Yeah. Now, Bill Slater, of course, was head of serials um, at the BBC. Um, he's the person, Bill Slater's responsible for Tom Baker being cast in the yes. show because he produced... Um, no, he hadn't. He directed a play of the month called The Millionaire S that had Tom Baker in. And he, it was him who suggested uh, to Barry Letts that this was who he needed to look at. Um, so, But I'm just trying to find out when... He was in charge at the BBC because, of course, he was he was head of serials, but he also was a massive producer, wasn't he, Bill hmm. Slater? Um, Isn't he uh, all creatures, Bill Slater? He's all creatures. Um, well, I'll tell you what. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you exactly what Bill, or William, as he is sometimes credited, I discovered this week, and I'll explain why in a bit, um, why he's there. Right, so we've got... He was a director on Dr. Finley's Casebook, a director on Adam Adamant Lives. He directed, um, produced EastEnders. He directed Emmerdale, Tales of the Unexpected, Angels, Who Pays the Ferryman, The Brothers. He was producer. Right. Cold It, he was the producer. Nice. Um, the Oneidan Line, producer. Very nice. The, all of these different shows where nice you've got... things. A, yeah, absolutely lovely things. And then... And then he sort of like vanishes at the beginning of the 90s. But I've been doing a little rewatch recently of Jupiter Moon, which was the mm. uh, soap opera made by BSB with their lovely square satellite dishes. And all of a sudden, I'm watching one day before yesterday, directed by William Slater. And I thought, there can't be two people with that name, surely. So I checked on IMDb. No, it's Bill Slater. Directing episodes, you know this person who direct, who produced and directed Colditz. Here he is, directing episodes of a sci-fi soap opera for a brand new TV company. Which I was, I was delighted to see that. I, his name is for me a mark of quality, and and I think Hold the on. fact that he's he's around at the time. But I, I'm hoping he wasn't the person responsible for not commissioning a full series of Canine and Company. But I can't find anything there that says there was a repeat a week later. And if there was, I missed it. No, I thought that they did, but I mean, do you know what? It may have just been that the next Christmas they repeated it. Mm. You know, we have that dilation of time, don't we, with memory? So it could be that. Um, yeah, I never understood why it wasn't commissioned for a series. I presume it was political. Probably just the thing that J&T was getting too big for his boots and, you know, I, clip It his could ears. have been that, or it could have been really simple, straightforward things, like... I mean, the best example for me of of how things were brilliant but could also go wrong was the way that they produced The Brothers. Because The Brothers mm. was this incredibly important show. You know, it's the first of the BBC's sort of super soaps. There it is on a Sunday night. And it was getting massive ratings, selling all over the world, especially Israel, where it was huge. Um, in the Netherlands, it was a, a massive uh, seller, which is why we got the album Christmas with the Hammonds, which I should be cracking Real. open soon. And then you get to 1976, and they have the commission meeting for what's uh, coming up for the year 76, 77. And apparently what happened is um, somebody forgot to type the brothers onto the running order, so they didn't discuss it, they didn't allocate any money to it, and about two weeks later someone went, oh, we've not sorted the brothers out there. Oh, well, we've sorted it now, too late. Gone. That's crazy. Isn't that absolutely insane? It was hugely popular, and they literally forgot to put it out, to just type the words out, so it didn't get recommissioned for another series. It's barking. 
It is actually, but I suppose that does this predate the whole sort of Colin Baker, Michael Grade? Is it Lisa Goddard? Mm-hmm. Does it predate it that? Is. So you can't even lay that at the door if you wanted to be conspiratorially minded. No, you can't on this one. This is when he is um, he he meets, uh, goes out with, and marries uh, Lisa Goddard because she's in the brothers as well. So. Right. Yeah, Young so I'm afraid. Vital Colin. That's it, yeah. So, no, there's nothing like that that we can uh, fall back on. What we've got is literally someone forgot to type the words the brothers on a piece of paper. And therefore, right. because, no, oh, we've done the meeting now, it's too late. And I kind yes. of admire that pig headedness, I have to oh, say. Oh, I bet you bloody do. I no, do. No, that's no. the way it is. I, I absolutely do. Up there, I've got the box set of the series, and I always look at it and I think, oh, God, where's season eight? No, I don't care. They could have done it the next year, though, couldn't they? Well, they could have done, yeah. I have a theory about why Doctor Who fell afoul in the mid-80s, and it involves Colin Baker, and it's got nothing to do with sort of, you know, uh, love trysts or anything like that. So, my theory is that they alternated originally between... all right, it was white hair with Hartnell. But they alternated between sort of blonde and dark doctors, don't they? So you had Hartnell, white hair, trout and dark hair. Pertwee, sort of blondie, whatever hair. Uh, Baker, dark. Davison, J&T must have been onto this because he got him to bleach his hair, blonde. Mm. And then we have Davison, uh, gone. Baker, Colin, blonde. Oh, you see? Oh. You see? You see what happens? Do you see what happens? When you fuck with with this stuff, well, yeah? it would and appear that something has went wrong. Ah, and that's why it all went wrong. And that's so why maybe... it all went wrong. The trim dilemma. <laughs> 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 maybe it is that. Maybe it's actually that. I'm I mean, sure it... that my sort of unified theory of the world and karma and fate. You know, at some point I've got to bear fruit. And there you go. In uh, in uh, in eighty six, that's what hit home. But we were a long way off that. So in the January when Davison started, I got to watch it because I was addicted to Doctor Who. I remember that. Oh yeah. I, 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 my mum used to have this old dresser that ended up in my room, and you lifted the top up and it had a mirror. And mm. I used to wear my granddad's old hat and a scarf, and I'd sort of be looking in the mirror with my Peter Howell theme tune playing. For I'd got that for Christmas, and I'd mm. sort of I'd have that playing, and I'd I'd sort of move back. <laughs> as, if, as if I was disappearing into the stars in the credits, you know? Um, oh, yes. So by 82, we were having the house done up by the council, and there was this scousher, all right, mate, uh, um, plastering the house. And that's why I've said the smell of wet plaster and Peter Davison, for me, there's that whole sort of uh, association. Um, but I, I, this poor lad, he'd, he'd seen me drawing Doctor Who or something like that. I used to draw it on my mum's old knitting cards that I got given. Mm. He'd seen this and he'd obviously said, oh, hey, Doctor Who, I like Doctor Who. First Scouser I ever met, actually. Um, and that was it. Every day I used to pester him about Doctor Who. What, what happened in this one, mate? Do you know what I mean? Oh. He's like, And so I remember I did this drawing. He said, oh, hey, the Daleks, they had a, a fellow who made them, like the God and all that. What? Who? Who? Who was this? So I did mm. this fucking drawing of what he described. Uh, and he said he was called Stabros. <laughs> so these sort of half-eaten memories that I got. But, you know, it was mm. 
that was like i think the most excited i've ever been no video recordings uh no, no magazines about it no nothing just nothing. this poor mithered plaster who's trying to eat his bloody corned beef butties every dinner time with me like uh can you tell me a bit more about this please <laughs> mister and, i had and one like drawing. that um there was there was a lad big lad um but i mean i would have been this was when i was maybe about 10 I think. Um, and this lab was related to Mrs. Hyde, who was my music teacher at school, but we knew her outside of school as well, so as a, as a family friend. And I think Malcolm, which was his name, oh my God, I've just remembered something about him. Malcolm um, used, to di- uh, used to dress as Sherlock Holmes, just wow. on a daily basis. Um, he would wear the deer stalker, the cape, and everything else, and he'd be wandering around Liverpool in 1983 in full Holmesian get-up. But... Wonderful. He was, I mean, to me, he seemed like he was about 40 or something. So he was probably about 20. Um, but he had a video recorder or access to one. Um, and he had um, he had Castrovalva recorded, which was wow. like, oh, how's that happened? How do you do this? Um, and he also had the five doctors. And I went round originally because he'd, uh, he'd recorded the five doctors and I was able to see it on video. That was incredibly exciting. But yeah, Malcolm oh. with his deer stalker. Um, which he wore indoors as well, actually. Incredible. How old was this man? About forty-five, or well, was he... I, like I say, it's, it's difficult to guess these things with being young myself. So somewhere between eighteen and fifty. Um, <laughs> could be it's anywhere. You know, that. there was always older up. lads who hung around with you. Wasn't there? Was always one older lad who'd hang around with you. I don't know what that was. Mm. He was sort of like you know, he'd be like thirty odd and working, but he'd still yeah. hang around with you in the street. You know what? I seem to remember. Is this wrong that the the five doctors were spinning forward to nineteen eighty three here, fans? Mm. Um, the five doctors didn't that go out as part of Children in Need the first time? It did. I seem to remember so a didn't... banner scrolling. Yeah, and it didn't therefore go out on the anniversary on the twentieth. It went out on the twenty fifth of November. Um, right. And now this is one of the first times I can remember being outraged by television because they said it's going to be on the twenty fifth because it's part of Children in Need. America got to see it two days early. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, see, see, 1983 is a very different animal, isn't it? Because by then you... Well, I don't know about you, but by then I'd found out there was a magazine called Doctor Who Monthly, which I got. And and so there was a lot more that was available. I mean, it's strange to think pre-internet how we got hold of information like that. It is, isn't it? It's it's really odd. Um, You know what, I was thinking about that this week because um, I'm reading my, well I'm reading the old uh, the Dougie Camfield book uh, which is going rather well. I've got mine now. Oh, lovely. Have you started on it? No. No, I've got it though. I meant to to bring it up with me so I could uh, hold it up as well. Ah, it's lovely stuff. Now the thing is, one of the first things in there is something I had no idea about and you did, which is when I said to you during the week I said, do you you know about his politics? And you said, oh he was right uh, right wing. he was quite right wing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that just struck me because of course I'd never considered that with Dougie Camfield. I'd never thought oh, is is he a right winger? Or something like that. It just hadn't crossed my mind. But then if I was to try and think now, how did Liz Sladen vote? How did Tom Baker vote? I couldn't tell you. And that's one of those lovely pre-internet things, isn't it? Where mm. your your religious views, your political views, they were private. Whereas now, of course, Dougie Camfield wouldn't get a job directing on the show if people knew he was no. right wing, I personally no. believe. Um, but pre-internet, it didn't matter. 
And it's one of those things. I just where don't think like... it mattered full stop back then. I don't think people were that preoccupied with with no. stuff like that because this is all um, an upshot of identity politics, isn't it? it you is. know, whereby you have to be slotted into a, a category which mm. denotes who you are, which is the antithesis of what Martin Luther King said. Um, you know, about he hoped his children would be judged on the content of their character. Yeah. You know, and and I think that back then, I think things were a lot more ecumenical. I don't think that you were damned for having a, an opinion because no. I don't think you had um, so much. It's, it goes back to this orthodoxy again. You've got to be on message with everything now. You know, and we see people who fall foul of it, even the most right on people, they'll fall foul of one aspect of it, and woof, you know what I mean? That's it. They're piled on. They're, yeah, they've had it, cancelled. Really. Yeah. 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 And again, possibly that also relates, therefore, to rolling news, because I don't remember pol politics being that much of a thing to be asked about before rolling God. news, because you only got half an hour of news a day. Politics might take up maybe 10 minutes. Piper yeah. Alpha's blown up. There's another bit. Yeah. Funny story about a duck at the end. There's your news. You didn't have constant coverage. You certainly didn't have live coverage of the Commons. So I think that, it. Uh, I, I think that well, yeah. again, post-1992. Absolutely. I think that it is in direct correspondence, correlation, uh, to the uh, control that politics has over our lives. Because back then, you know, not everything that you did had some kind of legislation to back it. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, the yeah. amount of control, the amount of legislation, the amount of laws we now have control in our lives, which is just like, you know, and I don't think that I've put up with the amount of taxation. I mean, we're taxed. Uh, our energy's taxed and it's going to be a lot more taxed as they say that you know we can save the planet by giving money to billionaires uh, mm. not entirely sure how that works especially seeing as these billionaires who say the world's going to be underwater in 10 years have all got how big houses by the coast but anyway mm. um, yeah. so I'm not entirely sure but that's what you've got now I mean you know it's all about tax 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 so as a mm. result there's a lot of legislation that controls our lives at a massively granular level. So mm. it's that, uh, is it is it Seneca or whatever it is, just because you have no interest in politics does not mean politics has no interest in you. Mm. Uh, it's not Seneca, is it? It's Pericles. But, Troop at um, Murdoch's fault, though, isn't it? Troop at Murdoch's fault. It's rolling news, and Sky News was first, so I'm holding Rupert Murdoch to account on this. I don't it's think only because rolling news is healthy, but then I don't no. think Twitter's healthy. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm not on Twitter at the minute because it, it's kind of, it's it, it just, you know, drip feeding that thing into your subconscious and you constantly do, well, doom scrolling or joy scrolling, either way, you're constantly, it's, it's vying for your attention, isn't it? It is, it is, and utterly worthless, of course. But, uh, but it do really follow, is worthless. But do follow at Nice Things <laughs> Show if you would. Um, but nevertheless, no, you're quite right. No, but it's it's just odd because I thought the moment that I read that I I sort of, I, do I have to judge him differently? Of course I don't. He's a fantastic director, mm. but it, it just struck me that you know we wouldn't have known, and why should we? You know, why do we need to? We don't, so we shouldn't. Well, there used to be that saying, didn't there? A man's politics is his own private kingdom or something like that. I can't think. Mm. Oh yeah, no, it was it was my politics are between me and the ballot box. Yes. That's what people used to say. And in polite yeah. society, it was it was you weren't meant to talk about politics and religion. They were mm. the sort of things that were meant to just leave them alone. Um, they Absolutely. are not the subject for the dinner table. Mm, much healthier. I can certainly remember after one general election, this would have been early to mid-80s, I can remember um, 
my dad, um, my mum and my dad coming back from uh, voting, which had been at my primary school, <coughs> and my dad uh, said to my mum, how'd you vote? And she was outraged. She said, absolutely not. We're not talking about that. And she wouldn't have it. You know, she wouldn't share that information exactly. even with her own husband. And I think that was better. Yes. I do think that I'd was say better. so. Mm. I'd say so. I think that too much sort of, like I say, too much store is made upon your opinion. You know mm. what I mean? It's kind of like your opinion matters. Your, you know, you're the sort of, it's that whole thing about words are violence, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, whereby oh, actual violence is okay, it would appear. It's that, you know, yeah. that year of the Sex Olympics, Nigel Neal world we are in, or uh, mm. the ultraviolence of Burgess's A Clockwork Orange. You know, these days we can have children who knock hell out of old people, and that's yeah. okay. But you can't yeah. have the wrong opinion. No. It's the strangest, strangest situation. So, yes, happier, happier in 1981, I think. We were much happier in 1981 with that. Uh, Andy the Plasterer getting mithered by me for facts about Doctor Who. He was just like, yeah, I, I don't know, lad. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure <laughs> I must have pestered the hell out of him. You know what I mean? Um, poor bugger. But, mm. I, I mean, that was a lovely Christmas, that was. 81 was a lovely winter, you know? Mm. Um it's funny the other day we were sort of doing exercises in work, you know, and the yeah. students were doing their um, sort of monologues, and a few of them did things about being a kid and carefree, and it was just like, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. I remember that. You remember because it's kind of if you think about what occupies your thought processes now, um, mm. there's so much in there that's unwelcome. There's so much in your mind that you're like, hang on a minute, no, I shouldn't be using my power, my mental power for this. Like you say, um, be that people who are obsessive with the news or social media or whatever it might be um you know we we have periods in our lives where trauma takes over our mental capacity enough you know we have mm. real shit in life don't we like you know a relationship will break down or we'll lose our job or we'll have a health problem whatever it may be right mm. without all this unwanted crap other people's crap, isn't it? Yeah. I, I I don't see why what's gone wrong for Jacob Rees-Mogg is my concern. He oh, should God, sort no, it out himself. Oh, awful. But sort it out yourself. Unless he's going to start worrying about the fact that I've not written something important for work, which is usually the case, or if he's, <laughs> you know, or the fact that I've not put the roast on yet or anything like that. Ooh, I don't think roast. Jacob Rees-Mogg is oh, a little roast today, but I don't Did think Jacob like Rees-Mogg is worrying about that. <sighs> well... The main thing that I think of with Lord Rees-Mogg is, um, oh, now what's his name? Because I've got records through there. The um, the, uh, Herb Alpert, right? Right. The main thing I think of with um, Lord William Rees-Mogg is from Alexi Sales' Stuff. Do you remember that series? (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's great. I remember there's, there's one episode where they keep going back to this running joke. And they just go, and now, and it's Angus Dayton doing the voiceover, and he goes, and now, a few moments with Lord William Rees-Mogg. And it's just a very standard picture of Lord William Rees-Mogg with some Herb Alpert music playing behind it for about 30 no, seconds. No, that's Tijuana Taxi. No, it's, it's not that one. It's another one. It took me ages to find it. I can't remember what it's called now. I'll right. find it. Um, but... Um, and uh, that's what I mainly think of when it comes to him. Just this like absurd moment. It's also the episode where it's got Alexi Sale 
in um, a lady's hairdresser underneath one of the big hairdryers, and of course completely bald, with a little old lady sat next to him whilst he's reading out the Marge Proops' problem page, while this old lady gets more and more cross. And she must have been about 80. And then she suddenly shouts, Will you shut up, you noisy fat bastard? Which to me was the funniest <sighs> thing. Old people swearing. Wonderful. That's, that's William Rees-Mogg to me. Um, right. Yeah. I don't like to think of the, the other bits about him. Because I was don't he a think good I'd DG? Like I, I don't know. I don't know. When 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 did he preside? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. But I, he's a politician ultimately, isn't he? He wasn't a, a TV chap. Was he not a D? I thought he was a director general. Oh yeah, but he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't from um, from sort of like from TV people, was he? He wasn't of TV. Oh stock. no, but the government always um, uh, appoint the DG anyway. I don't, do they have that anymore? Don't they have the the chairman of the BBC, the oxymoronic BBC Trust? Oh no, absolutely, you do. I mean, you you ne- but now you've got much more control than there was before. You used to end up. I mean, you're going back to sort of like Lord Reith, of course, is yes. the first director general. Um, and so nobody, nobody puts him in post from government. You know, Lord Reith, you don't tell him what to do. Um, but hang on a moment. If we just look through, uh, Sir John Burt. Yeah, we'll we'll not talk about him. Um, yeah, uh, Hugh Carlton Green. There he is. Very good. Yeah. Um, hang on a moment. According to this list, he wasn't Director General. Have we had a Mandela moment? Have, have, have we, we invented him? Why do we think he was director general then? Right, I'm, I, no, he was. He must have been. I, he must have been. Surely to God. Right. Let's have. Uh, let's try this. Um, William Rees Mogg. There we are. William Rees Mogg, BBC. A member of the BBC's Board of Governors and chairman ah. of the Arts Council. Oh. oh. Right. He seems to insert. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. He was mentioned right, a lot. So, yeah, and certainly exerted a lot of power. You're right. Yeah. But chairman of the Arts Council as well. Mm. Oh, yes. 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 So, uh, but not director general. There's a little Mandela thing. I would have said up until this moment, I would have sworn he was a DG. We've cleared that one up for the boys and girls at home, dear boy. We have. We really That's have. How strange. That's unsettled yeah, I, me. I thought he was, he was definitely one of Thatcher's men, though, wasn't he? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, you know. and of course you do start. I think really it's sort of it's in the eighties that you start to get that governmental, well, interference in television. Yeah. That's where that really starts to come into it, isn't it? I mean, certainly the way that Thatcher um, sorted out the franchises rather badly, um, yeah. and then remember she wrote to uh, Bruce Gingell at TVAM personally apologising for what had happened, and it was all, oh, if I'd have known this was going to happen, Bruce, I would never have allowed this to be the case. Wow. And so he, and he immediately had the letter published, held it up on television, and then had it published. Um, and that's really where it all starts to go a bit wrong for ITV, in my opinion. Oh, we lose, God, yeah. We start I mean, losing the regions there. Mm, so yeah. Much. Yeah, you just you just lost so much. I mean, you lost uh, with Southern, just f- with Southern. You know, you lost uh, Out of Town uh, mm. with Jack Hargreaves. You lost Wurzel. Um, run Around. You lo- run Around, yeah. Oh. Wasn't that Tyne Tees? Was that Southern? That was Southern, yeah. That was Tyne Tees. Like, what was that Razzmatazz? Do you remember that one on Tyne Tees? Yeah, sorry, I don't, didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> Do not no. approve. But I'll tell was you what. a chubby uh, No, I don't. 
But I'll tell you, there's a lovely, there's a lovely VT clock that you may have seen. And it's on one of the out of towns. And it was recorded just after Southern had lost their franchise. And Jack is not happy. And you can hear him in studio chatting over the VT clock. And what he's doing is he's bitching about one member of staff who stayed on after Southern went, who started as a researcher on Runaround. And I think Jack may have got him in there. And then he became a producer of what was going to follow, which was on Safari with Christopher Biggins. And Jack is not impressed. He is not impressed by on Safari. He said, there's no point having all this money if you haven't got the talent. It's just wonderfully cross. Absolutely love him. I also found another VT clock today from Yorkshire Television, which I am going to put onto the uh, onto the Twitter as soon as we as soon as this goes out. I'm going to put it up, uh, which is an introduce introduction to a Les Dawson show, where whoever it is who's reading out the VTR six seven nine five bit farts quite audibly, <laughs> just farts while he's talking. It's wonderful. It's a little fart from nineteen seventy one, just there yes. on the VT. Lovely. That uh, that scampi in a basket. Eruptation captured forever. It's like when you have fish for breakfast, dear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it yes, right, yes, 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 <laughs> indeed. Well, flatulence is, is the cornerstone of all great humour. Let's be honest, you know. Oh, it's funny, isn't it? Yes, uh, yes, Main with Leonard Roster, Galton, and Simpson. Oh. That's a great thing, especially at the end where he farts all the candles out as the lights <laughs> go out over Europe. Um, <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it? Sort of bottoms are funny, farts mm. are funny, mm. but uh, poo, not funny, not funny at all. Strange, strange. No, that's that, horrible. Yeah, yes, and yet, yes, and yet, being sick is funny, but sick isn't. No. No, the noise is belching funny. is funny. Brilliant. Absolutely, yes. yeah. I'm, I suppose it's yeah, simply I've, bringing if things to issue that isn't... Yeah, uh, isn't don't go funny. too far with this. Yeah, no, it's you've pushed the joke too far. Feel free yeah. to gag and hurl all you wish, but don't be sick. Common. Maybe that's where the phrase gag comes from, because that's the limit of how f- where funny can go. Oh, maybe it is, yeah. Maybe it is. I think that we've... uh, It's probably not an original observation, but we've probably sussed out um, some of the golden rules of comedy there. I think so, yeah. I think they're they're absolutely steadfast rules, aren't they? And you're right, poo will never be funny, ever. It can be if you don't see it. Stories of someone shitting themselves can be funny, but one doesn't wish to see it. No, no, I don't wish to see it at all. No, Um, no. Animal or human... No, 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 not at all. Not no. at all. Not I wonder keen if the young, though, find it funny. I wonder if they've sort of gone beyond that bound of decency. Oh, you mean the the current youth? Yes. Well, I would hope that they don't. I mean, there's um, there's a wonderful episode of Doomwatch, which is all about psychoanalysis. And someone, you know, it, basically at one point you get a full 10-minute psychoanalysis se- um, session taking place. And... Um, this woman who's being talked to is asked, um, what do you find repulsive? Do you find this repulsive, that repulsive? And she's just like, no, no, no. And then excrement. And she goes, Bloop. So in 1972, when they filmed that episode of Doomwatch, 
excrement was enough to make the lady in this almost absolutely hurl. as still it, is as it now. should be as it reminds should me be. that um do you remember that monty python album where he's had about words is how to cure your embarrassment and one of the <laughs> words that the, the guy says is do any of these words make you embarrassed and he goes through the list and the one i remember is wankle rotary engine <laughs> 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 yes words that elicit emotion Words, mm. words are words are violence as we know now, dear boy. We that's, do that's what words are. So, have you got any we nice do. things this week? Nice things this week. I do actually. I got I got a couple of nice things this week. First of all, uh, first thing is just something that I promised myself for ages, and that's uh, the Pentangles oh, album, Basket of Light. Now, it's an album. Here's a, this is an album I've listened to in bits for years. Obviously, it's got the theme tune from uh, Take Three Girls which was the first first BBC drama shot in colour, um, which is called Light Flight. And I've heard the rest of the album... Is that a new version? Uh, it is a new pressing, yeah. Again, yeah. trying to find an original pressing. You know, difficult. But it, it's a beautifully pressed album. Um, but it's the first time I've listened to the album barcode. all the way through. Um, sorry, there it is. Oh, gosh. There it is. Anyway, um, first thing, but time it's the, you've listened to it all the way through. All the way through. And it's one of those things where you just listen to it and you're just amazed that it, it comes together so well as an album. It's absolutely beautiful. So I got that. But then also, thanks to Discogs, I got myself this little seven inch as well. This is um, Noel Rawsthorne, who was the organist at Liverpool uh, Cathedral uh, for Brilliant. decades. And uh, playing, uh, it's, a, it's a 45, but it's got four tracks on it. Um, and I bought this, God, I think I was three when I got a copy of this. And I played it to the point where it was worn out, essentially. Right. It, you know, to the point where the needle would start skimming across the surface because it had just been listened to so much. What a strange boy you were. Oh, I know, I know. But and there's one. Um, where where are we? Oh, yeah, by uh, Pietro Yon, which is Tocatina for the flutes. God, that's a beautiful piece of music. That's proper magical music that you've got there. Yeah. Um. So that's turned up, and that's a replacement for something that uh, that, as I recall, I was lied to about. Um. Which was I was told that I'd listened to the record so much that I'd worn it out and it had disappeared. And to me, at the age of about four, I just went, well, that must be true, because my parents wouldn't lie to me. Yes. However, however, then, I was told the same bullshit lie about six months later about an album I had of Sooty, which was basically Harry H. Corbett talking to Sooty, who can't speak, so it was a ridiculous album to have. And I was told, oh, you've worn that one out as well. And then I saw it popping out the top of uh, the bin, which was outside waiting to be collected. <laughs> and... And I ran down Gorsdale Road, chasing after the men with the bin lorry. I was incandescent. I was so... Oh, I, th I don't think I ever trusted my mother again after that fully. No, um, they were buggers yeah. for that. I remember I had a mirror covered in stickers uh, that was behind the couch, and it was going to go mm. in my room, you know, a mirror tile. Uh, probably given mm. to us by a neighbour or something like that. I remember it very well. It was just a square tile and then it was beige around the edge and round mirror bit in the middle. And so I got all these stickers. They were Beano ones or something. In fact, they might have been transfers you rubbed on. Anyway, it was like, oh, it's gone that. It's gone that. No. Smashed. Smashed. Parents lie. Mm. This yeah. is the thing. Parents yes. do lie. Oh, I, 
absolutely. And that was that was a massive lie. I haven't replaced the um, I haven't replaced the sooty one yet. Sooty around the world, I think it's called. It's got sooty and sweep and a flying saucer um, on the front. I think there might be another animal, a giraffe or something. Um, but it's literally, of course. course. I mean, sooty can't speak, and and sweep can just make that sort of noise. And so I had a whole album of that. I mean, I don't blame my mother for therefore throwing it out when I was just listening to Hey, sooty, Sick what are you doing? It. Pause. I don't blame her. Yeah. Actually, no, that's not true. I yeah. do, and I still hold a grudge, and we're talking about 42 years later. Still cross. But I can imagine if you were anything like me as a kid, you would listen to it and then turn it over and start again for absolutely. days on yes. end. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a great world, Wonderful. that, isn't it? If you can tap into something like that, you you can become a millionaire, as I'm certain that the Corbett's did from Sooty. I'm sure they did. I think when uh, when Matthew sold the rights to Sooty on, which must be about 10, 15 years oh. ago now, I think he probably did quite well out of it. I didn't know he'd sold it on. So um, I remember mm. Matthew Carver. Didn't he get leukemia or something like that? It didn't. He didn't die though, did he? No, he didn't die. No, because uh, I remember him before the beard because he was on Rainbow originally. Um, ah, it yeah, was yeah. Rod Jane and Rod Jane and Matthew. Then it became Rod Jane and Roger. Um, with uh, Roger, who ended up in El Dorado playing uh, Bunny Charlton, um, and then became Rod Jane and Freddie after that. But uh, Freddie Mar- Go on. Sorry, sorry. Uh, no, go on. Well, Freddie, Mar- Freddie Marks has now has now died. She's a. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Didn't didn't one of them originally play Bungle? Because there's some with Bungle's got Rod or Freddie's voice. Well, no, now there's a thing. The original Bungle was played by an actor whose name you should know, and that name is John Leeson. Oh, right, okay. That's John Leeson in the original um, costume, but if you Google original bungle rainbow, it's the thing of nightmares. It looks like someone's chopped a real burr up and it's just wearing its skin in a sort of Silence of the Lambs way. It's horrific to look at, but... uh, Unlike the twat that they then got. I mean, God, most hateable character on television, Bungle. Such a dick. It's it's strange how much Doctor I, I know that's I know that's ridiculous, Mike. I know that's I know it's ridiculous that I'm I sort of like that, sitting I, here I getting crap about Bungle. Bungle. But I, I, I didn't what? mind no. Bungle. Why? Yeah, why was what was it Bungle? Because he was just moaning all the time. That's all he did. Was he, he moaned, cried, and ran to Jeffrey all the time. I That's all he, was, he ever did. I, yeah, I thought he was a, a sort of the, one of the first gay characters on TV. I thought that was the point of Bungle. Oh, he was just a fanny. <laughs> yeah, was like no, that, just a he? fanny. Absolute fanny of an animal. Just oh, awful. Right, so, just... So, so he wasn't oh. the original Burr. Oh, no, I don't think so, no. no I mean, no, I, no. possibly the original Bungle may have been the... The original Burr, but well, you, uh, had, you had was it Rod or Royce? It was Roy Skelton. You had who was who was Zippy George and, and George. Yeah, he, he was both of them. And then yeah, now what was the name of the Bungle chap? I can't remember now, and I should. Oh, um, Stanley. Hang on a minute. Now this could be a link. Talk about Rainbow for a sec. I might be about to come up with a link Ooh, that's interesting. All I remember here. about Rainbow was how much uh, Cockleshell Bay came from Rainbow, didn't it? It used to be a little did, section yeah. in it. Uh, Robin and Rosie. And uh, they all had cheese and chutney sandwiches is something I remember from Cockleshell Bay. Yes, Cockleshell Bay mm. was... Uh, we liked that. We didn't like Portland Bill so much, though. 
Um, I quite I, I quite like Portland Bill because of the dog called Dogger. I, I appreciate oh, a dog called yes, Dogger, so I, I liked good. Portland Bill for Yeah, that. that's pretty um, good. Stanley Bates. Stanley Bates was... Uh, there you go, Blaster Bates. Uh, yeah, he'd done... Um, th- he was in Theatre of Blood as well in 1973. Fantastic stuff. And uh, in 2001, he was bound over to keep the peace following a road rage incident. See what I mean? Bungle, dick. Total dick. There you go. So all those years of being all sort of fey and and, and conciliatory, it all mm. boiled out when Bungle went mad. He may have had a road rage That's incident as, as Jeffrey in his taxi cab. Wasn't he a cab driver, he Jeffrey? Yeah. You, I'm, I've oh, never oh, quite been sure because... Well, I wasn't sure if that was a spoof or not. Was it a spoof? Have I been taken in, sure. Paul? I th- I think you were taken in by that. I think right. that uh, yeah, they yes. hired him. I met I met Jeffrey Hayes. He did a show at the uh, Edinburgh Fringe called um, Rainbow and Me, and it was it was one of the best pieces of theatre I've ever seen because wow. it was about it was about how you don't have to leave your childhood behind. Um, and all the way through, he's been doing this thing about, you know, oh, does anyone want to see Zippy and George? And everyone in the audience, my age, were all going, Way! like that. And in the end, and he had one of the, the units they had on Rainbow, one of those sort of like, well, for yeah. the puppeteers to hide behind. And he's always indicated, does anyone want to see them? Way! And then at the end of the show, all right, let's see Zippy and George. And he turned the unit round and there's the puppets just lying flat. And it was just this moment in the theatre where everyone went, Ooh, it was just a beautifully staged moment where, uh, but then he get uh, it led into this final speech, where he just very slowly put his hands into the puppets, and then they all took a bow together at the end after he'd said about not leaving your childhood behind. Absolutely, oh man, lovely man. And then I met him afterwards, and I've never seen a man who could get drunk as quickly as he did in the bar afterwards, whilst chain smoking. Just phenomenal <laughs> chap. I've got a photo with him somewhere. Loved him. He's a, that was a pleasure. Was it was he, a pleasure uh, to meet him. Just like he didn't need much to get drunk, I just chucked it back. Chucked it back. Chucked it back. Absolutely chucked it back. But you know, he's a proper old school actor. Because of course, pre-Rainbow, he's in Z cars and all sorts. He was a, you know, a decent, well-established actor. Um, right. Who, course didn't get much work after rainbow unfortunately but then yeah well, no you had the actor's ability to knock the drink back it's quite quite stunned quite amazingly but lovely man well lovely man. i i think that that is a lovely nice place to stop this week's uh the the image of jeffrey hayes knocking back the scotch um yes wonderful <laughs> i i must go yeah. and see if there's a, a recording of that show i'd love to see that oh it's absolutely lovely stuff one of those times a bit like when who was the other one? Nicholas Parsons, God bless, God bless him, when he used to do his happy hour yeah. at the Fringe. You know, these these absolute monoliths of our past who were just, you know, fewer and fewer now, but certainly 15 years ago or so, you yeah. pop up to the Fringe and they're all there working away still. Yeah. And, uh, I suppose um, wonderful. talk of K9 means you must give mention to Bob Baker. Bob Baker, we must, who's who's just passed away uh, a few days ago. Yeah. Um, one of the creators of K9, that's him and Dave Martin. Of course, they both together wrote The Three Doctors as well. Yeah, um, yeah. There are fewer and fewer of these lovely people, it's sad to say. And also, Clifford Rose. Yes, 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 yes. Clifford Rose, Secret Army, Callan, 
everything. Essentially, any if you want to see any good telly made in the sort of late 60s yeah. through to the 80s, Clifford Rose is in there and made it He's to, what was he, 92, 93? 92, good on him, a good innings, good far better him. than I'll do. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, oh, thanks, Paul. So, oh, no. um... <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that down to the lag on the internet connection, I think, that one. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> the lager on the internet connection. Yes. One can always do that. Well... Everyone at home and Paul, uh, mm-hmm. have a lovely week. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. And until the next time, goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>